together corporately and we worship, I know that more happens than we're aware of in those moments of worship, in our own personal lives, in our hearts, and uh, even in our community. We know that God is at work, and so we love to be able to partner with Him in that way. So today, we're going to continue through the series that we've been in. Um, the Life You've Always Wanted, based on the book by John Ortberg, um, called The Life You've Always Wanted, talking about spiritual disciplines and how to use those disciplines to, to help us to live out the life that Jesus intended us to live out. Um, when, when Jesus gave us victory at the cross, He triumphed over the enemies. God did not have in mind to just be able to forgive our sins and uh, get us into heaven one day and for us to just hang on and maybe make it. He, he meant for his kingdom to invade earth now, our lives now. That's why he sent his spirit to live in us. We now are the temple of God. Where God used to dwell in the temple or in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, he now dwells in us. And everywhere we go is holy ground. Everywhere we go is sacred space. There is no, uh, we go to church and that's one type of life, and then when we go to work, that's different. Uh, the, there is no sacred and secular divide when it comes to God. God works everywhere the same. He wants to work in your workplace the way he works in a worship service. We just have to believe it, and we just have to expect it, and we just have to align our hearts and minds to it so that when He prompts us in our workplace, we respond the same way we do in a worship service. Now, I love the worship services because we, we get to encourage each other, and sometimes I don't have the strength, and so it's nice to have a worship team helping me to press in and to hear God's voice, but it can happen anywhere. In fact, when your coworker comes to you, and shares a need, there's not time to grab your uh, Spotify playlist or your iTunes playlist and put your little earbud in and, you know, listen to some worship music to get yourself. You, we've got to be ready for this. And I love these moments because these moments help equip us and empower us and they teach us how to, to hear the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, a little bit later, I'll, I'll talk about how I believe this is a laboratory for learning to hear the Holy Spirit speak. I mean, when you take biology or chemistry at school, you learn all about chemistry and biology, but then you have a lab where you actually put into practice what you learned. That's what this is. So yeah, we can learn about the Holy Spirit, but it's in the times of prayer and worship that we learn to hear His voice. It's a laboratory, and we take steps. We step out. We try, we, and we make mistakes, but hey, it's the safety of the lab that gives us the opportunity to maybe make some mistakes because, guarantee, we won't get the same grace out there when we make mistakes. And so we want to learn to hear His voice, so ultimately we carry it out of this room wherever we go. <coughs> I don't know, the air must be dry up here on the stage today, I don't know. But, the um, so we've been in chapter 9 in the book, um, The Guided Life, and today I've titled the sermon, There's Always More. There's Always More. Um, when we started this month, I had an idea for how I wanted to, to kind of track this month. There was a lot of stuff I wanted to share, and so... I had about three weeks worth of stuff that I've just kind of gone through and then just stopped when we ran out of time. And hopefully I will finish that today because next week, Easter Sunday, I'd like to focus on the gospel of the kingdom. And then the, fall, the last Sunday of the month, I want to share a, a message with you that I've called Supernaturally Practical. 
supernaturally practical. And uh, you may have gotten the message yesterday that uh, if you are friends with me on version, I invited you starting tomorrow to read a Bible study plan on version about the life of Elijah, Elisha. Elisha. And I want us to, it's 13 days long, so it'll end right before April 24th. And I want us to go into April 24th with the background of reading the, the story of Elisha in the Old Testament and really just beginning to, to process some of those things. And so there's a place for you on version to make comments on some of the readings, maybe some things that stick out to you. I encourage you to do that, but that'll start tomorrow. If you didn't get the link and you have the version app, reach out to me today. I'll make sure that we get you on there. If you don't have version, that's okay. Just read the story of Elisha. Okay, you'll find it in 1 Kings, I believe it's chapter 18 where we start, and then it goes through 2 Kings, I believe chapter 10. Uh, but read the story of Elisha, and let's kind of prepare for that message coming up at the end of the month. But um, last week, I also brought up two books, One More by Tim Enloe. There are still copies of this available. This talks about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, very practical, very easy to read, and they are free. If you will read it and you do not have a copy, pick one up at the table in the back. There are still copies available out there. Um, if you have questions about the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that is a great resource. For parents, there's also the same book, um, but it's called Kid Power, written by um, Tim Enloe as well. And it talks about the Holy Spirit for kids. And so if you're wanting to introduce that to your children or read that with them, um, I do not have as many copies of these, so you'll have to see me after the service, and I'll make sure you get one of those. And then I do have a few copies of Goodbye Chicken, Hello Dove um, by Tim Enloe, which is actually a great book. Don't let the title scare you. Um, Tim does a great job of practically teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, unlike anyone else I've ever heard. And so this is a great resource that goes a little bit more into uh, the work of the Holy Spirit than just the, the initial book, but these I have to sell to you. So if you want this one, I only have a few copies out on the table. They're $16. That's how much we paid for them. We pass them on to you for that, and so you can stop out there and pick those up. So that's what I've got for you. We've spent the last two weeks talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, talking about what it is to speak in other tongues, and then last week we started looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. And we talked about these letters in the, Old Test in the New Testament. We have to remember that the apostles were not th sitting down one day saying, hey, I want to I write an explanation of uh, the church and how, the, how salvation works and how the gospel works. And uh, I want something that in 2,000 years, people are going to be able to read and understand the kingdom of God in its totality. Uh, that's not how these letters work. These are letters. Okay, so... The Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter, or the Apostle John, or the Apostle James was writing to a group of churches or an individual church, and they were writing a real letter to them. They were helping them with a problem they had or answering a question they had. And there is a lot we can learn about how the kingdom of God operates from these letters. But the danger is, when we act like these letters are the whole story, and we don't look at the, the Bible as a complete story, and we just pull things out of a letter, we can make it mean anything we want it to mean for us today. 
But that may be not what the apostle was trying to convey to the church at the time. And so it's important for us to understand these letters, understand the context of what's being said, and make sure that as we look at that, then we can apply it to our lives. And so as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul is not writing for all the churches to be able to understand how the Holy Spirit works. But sometimes that's how we treat these chapters. And that's where we get ourselves into some error, like what we talked about last week. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that in their worship gatherings, there's chaos. There's a lot of pride, spiritual pride. There's a very much so a lack of concern for others in the body as they gather together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talked about how they're mistreating even the poor among them, and they were having their fellowship meals, what we refer to as communion, but they were denying the body of Christ while they were doing it. Uh, And he actually had some pretty strong words for them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So when we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, we have to know that Paul is addressing a specific situation with a specific church. And so anything we pull out of here, we've got to make sure we keep in that context so we know how to apply it to our lives today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we looked at this last week, verses 29 through 33, let two or three people prophesy and let others evaluate what is said. I shared with you briefly the story last week that at Bible college there was a time where there was a fourth message given in a worship service and someone got up, one of our professors got up and corrected and said that was the fourth one, that's out of order. Eh, that's not what's happening. Yes, if that was the, 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 if the church every week was all about that and there was no instruction given and there was no anything else happening and it was just all chaos, then yeah, I can see why Paul comes along and says, hey, let it be by two or three. Okay, let's rein it in, let's get some order, let's learn how to do this the right way. Okay, I don't believe that Paul was saying if there's a fourth one, it's out of order. I mean, you may think that, praise the Lord, I don't. Uh, As I read all of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, that's not what I think Paul was trying to get across to this church. But that's an example of how we can pull out a scripture, make it apply to everybody, everywhere, all the time, every situation, when that's really not what's happening in the context of the letter. If someone is prophesying and another person receives revelation from the Lord, the one who's speaking must stop. Well, that's backwards. I mean, if I'm speaking, you should wait till I'm done and then you should speak. That's courtesy. But what Paul again is doing is he's correcting a church where everybody thinks they're the most important one. And so Paul says, if someone else gets up, you sit down. When I was first, sit down you got to deal with some pride and selfishness in your life. Sit down. And so that's what Paul is trying to get across to this church. And so that's why we want to make sure that we look at this um, in, in the context that it's written. Verse 31. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so everyone will learn and be encouraged. That's the goal. Everyone learning, everyone being encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirits and can take turns. So the phrase that's out there that, well, when the Holy Spirit comes on me, I just can't control it. Yes, you can. Because it says right there we can. And sometimes we want to use that as an an excuse to be mean to people or to be weird and frighten people. But we can learn to hear the Holy Spirit in a way that the people we minister to taste the water of the Holy Spirit and not the garden hose through which it flows. 
Okay, the analogy last week of drinking water through a garden hose tastes like a garden hose. We want people to encounter the Holy Spirit, not us. That we don't want them to encounter us, so we learn how to operate in a way that is orderly. Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Now, I also see in this passage that all of us are supposed to have a part in this. If you keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says when we come together, everyone's got something to add. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to all be vocal, but there's, there's an engagement that has to take place from all of us. So for some of us to say, well, you know, I don't really need to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, or that's for this group of people or that group of people, that's false. And I think as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll show you that the gifts of the Spirit are not mine and they're not yours, they're His. And if you have the Spirit of God living in you, guess what? All of them live in you because they go where He goes. And there is not this idea that you operate in the gifts of healing, but I operate in the gift of tongues, and you operate... No, 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 no. I don't get to pick and choose how I use them. The Holy Spirit is the one that prompts when we use them. And so let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, and let's start there, and let's hope we get all the way through uh, before I have to end. With regard to spiritual things, Paul says, matters pertaining to the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. Some translations will translate this, the word spiritual gifts. I believe that's an incorrect translation because the word gifts never appears anywhere in this passage in Greek. The word gift is the word charis, it's grace. And there are passages like 1 Peter chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12 in Ephesians chapter 5 where there are gifts, there are grace gifts that are given to the body of Christ. They're given to us as people. That word does not appear here. These are matters pertaining to the Spirit or spiritual things. These are not gifts of the Spirit. They are spiritual abilities that the Spirit performs. And because He lives in us, they, came, they come out of you and I. I don't believe that the list He's going to give us here in verses 7 through 11 are the only way that the Holy Spirit will ever work. And I don't think Paul is trying to give us this um, this exhaustive list of all of the gifts and all of the ways that the Holy Spirit works. And if anything happens outside of that, it's not the Holy Spirit. Again, that's not what Paul's trying to bring some clarity. He's trying to bring some handles to a church that's in utter chaos. And so if you and I have the Holy Spirit living in us, all of these things that he is about to mention, these manifestations of the Spirit, could operate in any one of our lives at any time as the Holy Spirit prompts. The difference is the gifts, the charis that we talk about. Like, I have a teaching gift, okay? So I can teach whether the Holy Spirit is at work or not, okay? It's a gift that I have. It's an ability. Now, it's best used when I yield to the Holy Spirit and let Him empower that gift and let Him help me in that gift, but I don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to exercise the gift of teaching. If someone walks up to me and asks a question, I can just answer their question, and I can begin to help teach and explain some things, because it's a gifting that I have. It's given to me by God, but I possess it, okay? It's, you can use them for the Lord. You can use them for yourself. 
I mean, the same goes for our musical abilities or the gift of hospitality or leadership or technology. It's an ability that we have that's ultimately given to us by God, but we possess it. And we're in control of it. We get to use it. And you use it in your workplace. And you use it everywhere you go. But God can use your ability in your workplace the same way He uses some of the manifestations in the body of Christ. He wants to. In fact, He wants you to yield your giftings to Him because He can help you use them better than you can on your own. That's what He wants. But those are giftings. These are manifestations that Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They're different. I don't know if you've ever noticed, like in a worship service, your gifting sometimes explodes. So maybe you have a problem at work that you can't solve or you can't figure out, and maybe you start to pray or you start worshiping on your own or you're in a worship service, and these thoughts start coming to you, like ways that you can solve this problem. And some, I used to rebuke those thoughts and be like, no, I'm here to worship. I'm not going to think about those things. This is because I was taught growing up that, you know, worship is about God and work is about you know, work and me. And so I don't want to think about those things when I'm in worship. I only want to focus on God. And then I learned that when I have things that I'm doing outside of church or outside of, you know, the Christian ease or the spiritual world, that God wants to be involved in those the same way He's involved in the spiritual world. And so sometimes you'll get an idea. Here's what I do. I carry something with me to write on now. And I write it down. Because I'm like, that's a great idea, so that must be from the Holy Spirit, not me. Great idea. And I write it down, and I just worship again. And then I'll come back to it, because I don't want to forget what I, what I felt like I heard in that moment. And sometimes I get out of the worship service, and I go back to what I've written down, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that was, but I don't think that was God. Um, but I wrote it down, and I moved on. But sometimes I get out of the worship service, and I'm like, wow, yes, that's what I needed, and that makes so much sense. So when we listen for the Holy Spirit to speak, He speaks in lots of ways. He speaks about our giftings, and He speaks about these manifestations. One of the things that I want to caution you is don't let the weird stuff that's happened that you've seen or that you hear about or that you've watched a YouTube video on keep you from experiencing the genuine move of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul, in the midst of this church that has gone crazy, if you will, says this, brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, I didn't put this on the screen, as Paul is concluding that letter, he talks about prophecies and he says, don't treat prophecies with contempt. And that's the danger. That was ignorance is bliss, that we sometimes want to throw out the baby with the bathwater because it was weird or somebody did something wrong or somebody misused one of the manifestations of the Spirit, so it's best to just avoid them altogether. False. It's, learned, it's to correct them and make sure that we're still walking in them. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let's look at verse 7. Here's the list that Paul gives us. Again, not an exhaustive list, but to each person... The manifestation of the Spirit. Notice that. Each person. Again, that idea that all of us have this opportunity. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the benefit of all. For one person is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, and another the message of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now, don't let the word manifestation freak you out. Manifestation just means the revealing. 
You think of Jacob in the Old Testament when he was having a dream and he woke up and said, God was in this place and I didn't realize it. That's all that the manifestation of the Spirit is. It's revealing that God is present through your words or an activity empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not that you conjured up, not that was your ability or gifting, but that was supernatural in its working. Okay? And we'll talk about how each of those works here in just a second. But um, we want to make sure that each of us know that we can operate in this as the Spirit prompts us. Paul is specifically talking about the worship service, okay? But these can work anywhere. You can have any of these things. The Holy Spirit can prompt you with a word of knowledge or a message of knowledge, a message of wisdom, which, by the way, just depending on translation, um, my brain will go back to the old NIV. That's a word of wisdom and word of knowledge. And I know the one I put up here says message. And so um, I hopefully you won't get confused by the, the, my brain uh, going back and forth between NIV or New King James or whatever else is all up there. Because it's just weird when you memorize lots of different translations. Who knows what comes out? But as long as it's the Word of God, praise the Lord. So, um, but these things can operate anywhere we are. But Paul is specifically talking about in the worship service. Okay? So, a message of wisdom. And I don't know everything about all of these giftings and how they operate. I, I have learned some things. Some of them have operated in my life. Some of them have not. Um, and I'm sure that part of the reason is me, that some of them have not operated. I'm sure the opportunity has been there. I'm sure the Holy Spirit has put me in a position where He wanted one of them to operate, but I just either wasn't listening or I just didn't have this, the courage to step out and trust um, or I just really haven't been seeking. And I just kind of am going about my life and just, you know, whatever. But whatever reason, I believe all of them could have operated in my life, but this is what I know and I pass on to you. So a message of wisdom is really just the application of knowledge or understanding. Um, it's how to take a problem and solve it. And it's supernatural in its delivery, meaning you're not thinking about a problem at work and a message of wisdom. I think that's wisdom. But when something comes to you that out of the blue, okay, you, you look at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was brought before Pharaoh, and he needed to interpret the dream that was given to Pharaoh. Now, I think he had a message of knowledge, which was the dream, because that's factual. Message of wisdom is one thing. Message of knowledge, I think, is a factual thing. So it's information that I could not know other than the Holy Spirit revealing to me. Joseph, knowing that dream, would be what considered a message of knowledge. But now for him to go beyond just the dream and even the interpretation of the dream and to deliver to Pharaoh what should be done as a result of the dream, that's a message of knowledge and a message of wisdom working in tandem. Now, if Pharaoh would have told him the whole dream and said, hey, what should we do about it? Some of the ways that he did for Daniel... Daniel operated often in a message of wisdom. And you're like, hey, those are Old Testament. Well, yeah, because the Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament. These are the ways the Holy Spirit works. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. This is how the Holy Spirit works. And Paul is explaining, now that He lives in you, it should happen more often. It should be easier for us to understand because the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was working outside of them and helping them, but now He's working on the inside of us. A message of knowledge, however, is not suspicion. Sometimes people, um, we, it's easy for us to slip into being suspicious 
of people. And sometimes we start reading about things or we start watching videos about things. And so we start getting suspicious about certain people's behaviors. Um, demonic spirits operate in suspicion. Okay, so be careful when we try to exercise a message of knowledge or we think God is revealing information to us about another person, it should be for that person's good. Now, it could be a corrective message, but it should ultimately be a, a thing of good. And so be very careful when we, we slip into this idea that, um, as Paul says, we renounce secret and shameful ways. We renounce these types of suspicions. We don't have anything to do with them. So message of wisdom, message of knowledge, they can overlap. They can happen at any different time. So then the Apostle Paul goes on and says, to another faith by the same Spirit. I think this faith is not saving faith. It's not the faith that uh, you and I have on a regular basis, but it's a supernatural faith that comes to us by the Holy Spirit. Um, I, was, I'm trying to th I was trying to think of an example of it, and I, I don't know that I like this example, but it, it works. And so you go to the doctor, and the doctor gives you a diagnosis that you don't like and a form of treatment, and you begin to pray about it with your spouse, and both of you get this sense that you're not supposed to go with that treatment, you're supposed to trust God for healing. That's a gift of healing or a gift of faith. That's saying this is a confident thing. Or, you know, there's a, a promotion at work, and it looks like you should take it, but God says no, and you say, but God, if I don't take this promotion, or if I quit my job, and uh, how, how am I going to provide for myself, or what am I going to do? And you have this overwhelming assurance and faith to trust. Now, when you operate in a gift of faith, if you're going to take a big faith, like avoiding medical treatment, or quitting a job, uh, I encourage you to get a circle of friends to pray with you in that, okay? Because, again, we're learning how this operates, and if we make a mistake, we don't want it to be a costly mistake. But at the same time, if we never take risks in that manner, when does God show up? Most of us want to live our lives so comfortably that, you know, if a miracle, it would be a miracle if a miracle could even happen in our lives, and so we want to make sure that when we exercise a gift of faith, be careful when you use it for others. And I've seen this misused, where they tell other people not to seek medical treatment, and if they do, they lack faith. <laughs> That's not the Holy Spirit. Thank you very much. Um, it's nothing wrong with encouraging someone or sharing with someone what you sense the Holy Spirit is leading, but it's up to them to take what you've shared and to test it in their relationship with the Lord. And so make sure when we walk these out that we give each other grace to be able to walk them, walk them out. To another, gifts of healing by one and the same Spirit. Now, the Bible tells us to pray for healing, but a gift of healing would be, would, I believe would be different. It would be like Peter on the, the day after, or Acts chapter 3, I shouldn't say the day after the day of Pentecost because that's not accurate. Acts chapter 3, when they're on the way to the temple to pray, and he says to the man that's lame, get up and walk. That's a gift of healing. He didn't pray for him. He didn't lay hands on him and say, okay, Lord, heal this person. We're told to do that in the Scripture, but at times we declare healing. Jesus modeled this throughout his ministry. There were times he spit on people. There were times uh, for healing's sake, not because he was mad at them. I should clarify in case you don't know your Bible well. Uh, there were times he made mud and put it on blind people's eyes. There were times he touched people. There were times he just spoke a word. There are gifts of healing. Okay, we, like, we would like it if God did it always the same way, 
Because we want, I mean, we don't want to have to rely on a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We want to rely on our formulas. It's easier. But we need to walk in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. It's His gift, the gifts of healing. He's the one that picks. Now, sometimes my compassion makes me think a gift of healing is operating, and it's really just my desire to see that person because my heart hurts for them to be made well. And these have been misused throughout the years. And I've heard stories of evangelists that have prayed for people. They really felt God was prompting them. And they are people that have seen people healed. And yet, they were prompted to, to spit in their hand and, and then rub it on somebody whose eyes were blind and nothing happened and they were embarrassed. And, but yet, there have been other times where they've seen people get out of wheelchairs and walk. And so, if you're not willing to make a mistake or look foolish, chances are you won't ever operate in any of these giftings well. We have to be willing to make mistakes. And again, this laboratory should be the safest place. And we should have grace for one another. And so if someone comes to you and uses a gift and there's a whole lot of water hose and they're wrong, have grace for them and encourage them. Hey, I think you missed it, but thank you for doing it. Man, way to step out and encourage them to continue to step out. Then Paul says that there are, to another, performance of miracles. Now, we call everything in our world today a miracle, but a miracle is something that defies natural law. Okay, so the sun stands still, the wind and the waves stop all of a sudden, you take a few loaves of bread and a couple fish and you feed 5,000 people. Those are miracles. Those are supernatural things. Uh, your team winning in the playoffs is not a miracle, okay? That, <laughs> I know it feels like it, especially if like you're a Detroit Lions fan. Oh, that was so harsh. <laughs> But it's not a miracle, okay? So miracles defy natural laws. I apologize. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then the Apostle Paul says, to others the, the, to others, the prophecy. Again, prophecy uh, is not just a telling of future events. Prophecy is a word from the Lord. It could be a corrective word. It could be about future events. But it is just a word that comes from God, and it will line up with the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, that's why the Bible says, where Paul says, hey, all of you come together after a prophetic word and you test it. That's important. Then he says the discerning of spirits. Again, in our hypercritical word, world, the discerning of spirits, we have to be very careful. Because there are times where people are like, well, I discern that person has a, a bad spirit about them. And it might be you that have the bad spirit about you, not them. And so make sure that we exercise these carefully. But if, you, if you're in a relationship with someone and something feels off, okay, trust the Holy Spirit and begin to exercise caution. You don't have to distance yourself totally from that person, but exercise caution when you walk that out determine whether or not it's the Lord speaking or, again, whether or not it's um, maybe just you or your emotions or something about that person's personality that doesn't jive well with your personality. That's always possible, too. Then he goes on to say, to another, a different kind of tongue, and to another, the interpretations of tongues. It is one spirit, the same spirit, distributing as he decides to each person who produces all these things. So tongues with an interpretation and prophecy are exactly the same here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, so 
If you prophesy, you deliver a word from the Lord. If there's a message in tongues given with an interpretation in a public gathering, it's a prophetic word. That's exactly the same thing, okay? So I know I went through them really quick. Goodbye, chicken, hello, dove is another way to go through those. Um, And a lot of it is something we learn as we go and as we begin to step out in these gifts. It's not about sitting in a classroom and knowing all of the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks and all of the ways that He operates. That's not what it's about. Because the Holy Spirit is not a force and He is not a power. He is a person. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about good energy, it's not about emotions, it's not about giving you a jolt, it's about walking out an intimate relationship with the God of the universe every day of my life. And that's what this is all about. And I don't want that to get lost in talking about tongues or talking about these manifestations of the Spirit and how they operate. And oftentimes people say, well, if I've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, can I still operate in these manifestations? Yes. Yes. Why not? Because the Spirit lives, if you've given your life to Christ, the Spirit lives in you. Just keep going after more because there's always more. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says, eagerly desire the, the, the greater gifts. Well, what's the greater gifts? Well, the one that's needed in the moment. I mean, A gift of healing is needed when there's someone that's lying there that had a heart attack and is dead. I mean, or maybe a word of knowledge that it's that person's time and it's over. I mean, those are the gifts that operate. But, you know, a message in tongues in that moment might not be the right gift. And so we want to find the most appropriate gift. And the Spirit wants us to grow in all of these. And so He'll help us. But there's always more because we serve a God that is infinitely greater than us. I want to give you a scripture from Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul, I referenced it earlier in the service, where Paul's talking about how long and high and wide and deep the love of God is. And this is what he says in the midst of this prayer. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Look at this love that is incomprehensible. I mean, it's a love that you cannot understand fully. That means no matter how much of the love of God you've experienced in your life, there is always more. There's always more. There's always more. All glory to God, verse 20, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. More. There's always more. More. So don't get hung up on where you've been or how good you've done. Just walk with Him. There's more. I want to end today with one last scripture verse. And it comes from Luke chapter 11. And Jesus is teaching about prayer. And prayer is far more important than we understand it to be in our world. Um, We have been given the authority of Jesus to exercise the will of God. And prayer is like an invitation. It's us. God is not going to intervene in our lives against our free will. He'll come into our lives all the way right up to our free will, and He'll wait for the invitation. And the thing I love about God's invitation is He doesn't even need a majority to move in a church or a community. I mean, it's not like God needs 50.1% of the people to start asking Him for His kingdom to come before He acts. 
That's not how God works. He's just looking for an invitation. And so I would say, pray more than you're praying now. All of us. Pray corporately more than we're praying now. Because we're inviting God into our lives, into the realm of our sphere of workplace or school or neighborhood. Keep praying. Keep asking God. And that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples in Luke chapter 11. He says, teaching them about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Now, it seems like the answer to the prayer is no. No. And I know that there are times we ask God to do things that contradict His Word, and guess what? The answer is no. He's not going to contradict who He is, His character, and His nature. But if there, it doesn't contradict God's Word, don't stop when we think the answer is no. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, but I tell you this, though He will not do it for friendship's sake, If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So don't take my word for it. So Jesus says, so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks and keeps asking receives, and everyone who seeks and keeps seeking finds. And to everyone who knocks and keeps knocking, the door will be open. Now that's not a blank check theology. That's not saying anything you ask for you're going to get because God's going to give you every desire that you ever had and want. Because Jesus goes on and says, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's not about getting everything we ask for. It's not about having the power to walk into the hospital and clear it out. It's not about the the supernatural signs. It's about an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that comes when we ask and when we seek and when we knock. There's this false concept in the church world today that these manifestation gifts or the gifts of the Spirit are for like the leaders in the church or for the the super spiritual people among us. They're for every one of us. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, when the Apostle John is on the island of Patmos, and he gets a revelation uh, that he writes to us, the book of Revelation, and he passes it down to all of us. We still have that writing today, and we're like, well, yeah, he's an apostle, so it's no wonder that he got a, a revelation and he passed it down to us. But when John writes in, first, in chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I saw. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I saw. The idea that, well, if God wants me to have the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I'll just have it. Well, no, because He won't come against your free will. He'll come right up into your life as close as He can, but He'll wait for you to ask. And sometimes He'll have you ask more than once. 
for something because He wants us to grow in perseverance or in character or in understanding. And so we keep asking because we believe He's good, because He's a good Father who gives good gifts to His children. And even if I don't get my prayer answered the way I thought, in the time I thought, I know that the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside me and I'm going to become more intimate with Him and I'm going to understand how He operates better and I'm going to grow. And that's what the guided life is all about. And you can ask Him for help with relationships. You can ask Him for financial help. You can ask Him for understanding if you're in data entry processing. And you'd be like, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do. Help me. We ask, we seek, and we knock. For me, in my life, there are times where I will put on a certain playlist or the IHOP prayer room I love to use because I know that if I get my heart and my mind in the right frame of mind, I'll be able to hear better. And some people refer to this as emotionalism. You know, the music just moves you and you think you're hearing God. No, I know that as I walk through my world, I'm pretty selfish. Um, I can be pretty proud and uh, I can be bombarded by just a, a time lack of time management and a crunch and it can get hard to hear what God is saying in that moment. But if I deliberately step aside and I put something on that's going to help me focus on who God is and what He's all about, it's no wonder that He starts speaking. Now, I should walk closely enough with Him that all I have to do is turn aside and be like, Lord, I need to hear you. And if I was David Yonggi Cho, that's all I would do. <laughs> He's the pastor of the largest church in Seoul, Korea. And David Yonggi Cho has developed such a relationship with the Lord that he communes with him. And when he talks about communing with the Lord, man, it lights up something inside of me that says, I want that. And the question is, do we want that? Because if we do, then we'll carve out that time to step aside, to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit speaks, and we'll listen, and we'll trust. So that's what I want to encourage us to do, not just today, in this moment, but throughout this week ahead. And so, Holy Spirit, I thank you for your work in our lives. And I pray that today you would take the things that maybe I didn't explain well enough or the things that I went over quickly and that you would explain them to those that are in this room and those that are watching online because ultimately you are the teacher. You are the one that teaches us everything we need to know. And I'm grateful that we can learn from one another and that you have brought teachers into the body of Christ to help us. But God, help us to learn how to hear your voice, how to be taught by your spirit, how to live out this guided life. For those that are still wrestling with the baptism in the Holy Spirit and how that works and how some of these manifestations operate in their lives, give wisdom this week. Give understanding. Holy Spirit, give us an ear to hear when we're in our workplace or when we're somewhere else and we need to hear what you're saying. And maybe our ears have kind of gotten clogged up with the busyness of our day or just the selfishness of our own lives and we're not hearing you well. Holy Spirit, give us grace. Help us to step aside. Help us to do what we can in that moment just to position our hearts to be able to hear and respond. Show us areas of our lives that maybe need to be cut away so that we hear better 
maybe our entertainment choices that need to change. And so Holy Spirit, guide us in this week ahead. I pray that as we study your word, I pray that as we spend time in prayer, that you would help us to be able to receive from you and live out this guided life better than we ever have before. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This week, as you go through your week, I want to encourage you to, um, to read through the chapter, if you have not yet, chapter 9 in the study guide. Uh, John, he gives so much helpful information that I have not even touched in any of these messages. And so I encourage you, uh, that and the Tim Enlow book, read through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 again. It's different translations. And if you would, you're like, how much time do you think I have, Pastor Tom? Um, the Bible reading plan by version. Uh, many years ago, I started reading The Life of Elisha, and I think that there's so much significant happening in the life of Elisha that we're going to unpack at the end of the month, and I really, as a body, want us to be reading through that and kind of processing it together before we get to that Sunday, and so I encourage you to read through that as well. If you've got any questions about any of those resources or anything I brought up, you can mark it on a Connect card that you want me to reach out this week, or you can grab a hold of me out in the lobby before we leave today. I'd love to explain it to you a little bit more or take time to pray with you before you leave today. But uh, whatever you need, uh, please make sure that we know and we'd love to resource you in any way that we can. Don't forget to stop by the table in the back. Uh, there's a lot of information back there for you. Offering baskets are on the table again. God bless you as you go. Thank you for being here today. streets